You know, there's been a lot of songs written about grace. I, ton of, I just Googled it this week, and there's a lot. There's so many songs about grace. Uh, there's one that stands out uh, from all the others as the most famous song about grace, and it's one of the most sung and recorded songs uh, in history. What do you think that song is? Amazing Grace. Yeah, you nailed that because it's been sung by rock stars and country people and by gospel quartets and everybody, and we sing, and I've been to some other places where um, that song is sung, you know, even in different languages, same tune. You know, when Jonathan was talking about the boxes, I had a memory of being in this little place in Haiti um, called Canaan, and it's just a made-up city. It wasn't actually a city. It's just where people went to after the earthquake and gathered, and most of the buildings were just empty shells, and people lived in tents, and they couldn't get to the medical clinic, so we were kind of trying to take the clinics to them, just going house to house in this one little area, this, this, this village, and uh, there was one of the shoe boxes up on the shelf, and there was a little girl there. And uh, the translator helped me, and I said, you don't know me, and I know I'm just fascinating to her because I'm white and just really different, you know, and she's wondering, what am I doing there? Uh, I said, there's so many times our church has prayed over these boxes. I said, I've never had a chance to pray over one of the children that received a box. I said, could I pray over you? And she was scared to death. I think she thought, what's going to happen? Like, why are you doing this? And I said, I just want to pray. I just pray. I just be so, you know. And, but I just got to pray over this little girl. It was just a real sweet moment. Uh, but it was in one of those services that we sang the song, Amazing Grace. That song was written uh, by a man named John Newton, and he was a character. He was so bad. I mean, he, was, he just grew up. And they said that he cursed so much that the captain of the ship, he was in, the, in, in this naval thing, and they said that it was so common that everybody just used the foulest language, but that his was so foul, he would even make up curse words or string them together that the captain came to him and said, you got to dial it back. <laughs> I mean, that's, that just gives you an idea of his personality. He was so good at songwriting that he made up songs about the captain. And we'd teach them to the crew. And they would sing these dirty, awful little ditties, you know, about the captain of the ship. And the captain found out, had him arrested. It, it got so bad, he was put on a slave ship and then was made a slave himself. Because they couldn't think of another punishment for him. That was this guy's life. But over time and through some, he just brushed with death so many times. And in one of those instances, he just made this offhand remark. They were going through a storm. It lasted about two weeks. He had tied himself, he and a friend, uh, to, to a pole, to a mast there, to actually the pump of the ship uh, with a rope. And just made a comment uh, to the captain, if we live through this, it'll be from the mercy of the Lord. You know, it'll just be him. And they did. And after that, some time went by, and he received Christ as his Savior. Actually, he ended up going into the ministry. And he wrote this song in 1789, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Like me. I mean, he had come from so much, just history and background. 
There's so many songs about grace. There's another one that you're probably familiar with. Uh, It was written in 1911 by Julia Johnston. Now, Julia Johnston didn't curse. (laughs) She didn't go out on ships. She didn't do a lot of the things. She wasn't a hard drinker or any of that. In fact, her father was a Presbyterian pastor and leader of the missions organization in her hometown there in Ohio. Her mom was a godly woman, and they raised her to know and to love Jesus all of her life. Her mother was a poet and seemed to pass along that gift to Julia. And in 1911, she wrote the song, Grace That Is Greater Than All of Our Sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. The interesting thing about that and so many of the other songs is I see there's such a variety of people who've written and sung and have experienced grace. And folks, what we're going to talk about today is that it doesn't matter if you grew up, as they say, you know, the cliche, in a good Christian home, going to church, some of you before you were born in every day since, you know, or every Sunday since. Or if it was somewhere later in life, maybe even recently for some of you, it's that we're all covered by grace. And it doesn't matter. I'm embarrassed about some of the things in my background. And I've talked about some of those publicly so that no one could ever use those against me to blackmail me with you guys. You know, so I just go ahead and tell you. And I have a friend in Memphis, and he said, oh, I bet if you're a church. I said, oh, I've used that story as an illustration so many times. They already know, you know. But we've all come out of grace. And we still live in grace. And the idea about that is the way it's supposed to work is that I, I receive that. And grace just blossoms and unfolds in my life in all of these ways. And then... It's supposed to continue going in and through my life into other people's lives. So you're just like a, a pipe. It's <laughs> a terrible illustration. How about, um, I'm, I'm good at this. I paint visual pictures. It's just what I do. You're like the water hose uh, connected to your house. And your house is like God. And your yard is like the people in your life. That's pretty good, isn't it? Right, you get it. The water is grace. Okay, I think you've got the idea. It's supposed to flow through you. Here's the big idea of the message today. Showing others grace can be, should be, an act of evangelism. This should be one of the easiest go-to Ways to reach people with the love, with the gospel of Jesus than anything else. It's just grace. The way we will apply this when we walk out today is this, that we, we live in an ungracious world. But when we give grace, it's so delightful, it's so unexpected and takes people off guard that it's a way that we represent Jesus to the world. Have you ever asked, why are you doing this to someone? I've been on that side of things. 
when I was so broke in college and someone just felt led to give me some money. And, and I'd never had anybody do that before. It just, I didn't understand. Why would you do that? And the guy's like, because of Jesus. Because he gave me so much. I was just baffled by it. But there was something compelling and, and it drew me as well. And I've been on the other side of that. Where I've been able to say... It's not because of me. If you knew me, you would know this isn't natural for me. But it's because of Jesus. It's because of his grace. We live in a world, I think, devoid of grace and becoming more so. And whenever I say stuff like that, I know especially you guys are going to think, oh, there he goes. The dinosaur is talking. You know, he's going to talk about, well, back when I was a boy, everybody was nice to each other. We, we weren't. But the community, there was a certain graciousness. You know, I don't know what's, what's happened, but you see it. I don't have to convince you of that, that being nice is the exception. Um, being judgmental seems to be the norm. Uh, social media has become this dark place. You know, it's, it's become a dangerous place sometimes, and not because of all the weird stuff, or, you know, perverted stuff, just the meanness of it. You know, if you, do you feel that, that kind of atmosphere uh, in our community, in our world, especially in our nation? So in a world that is starved for undeserved kindness, what can the church offer? Where do we fit? What is our niche? Where do we come in? The followers of Jesus are in such a unique position to offer something that no one else seems to be willing to express, and that is God's grace. I mean, it's just this secret, not so secret, I don't want to call it a weapon, but a tool that we have at our disposal. It makes such a difference, such a difference. It just open doors you know what these boxes do is they open doors for the gospel because every child that receives a box also hears the gospel and it's not manipulative it's not a bait and switch they know up front we're a christian organization and i'm going to ask you to excuse my voice today okay it's a little rough but the lord said he's going to help me and we're going to do this together i think it sounds kind of cool actually may just keep it. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this story. Uh, Jesus and a, a guy named Simon the Pharisee. That's like his title. Uh, he's just Simon the Pharisee. We really don't know who he is. Uh, they're reclining at a table. They're eating a meal together. And this woman walks in right off the street. Uh, maybe she looked in, she saw Jesus, she recognized him and go, oh, that's him, that's Jesus, that's the guy. Um, and, and he's there. And, and whatever happened, it does, it's likely that she had had some kind of a prior um, unrecorded encounter, this experience with Jesus, and, and she knew his love and his mercy. And so when she sees him, oh, there's this opportunity uh, to thank him. So she enters the room. Now, everything from this point forward in the story is so inappropriate, uh, especially for a woman in the first century. 
Everything about this story it just is going off the rails of what would have been expected in that culture and in that time. Uh, she goes in, she interrupts the meal. Uh, she uncorks this jar of expensive perfumed oil, which would have immediately kind of like your essential oils, you know, in your diffuser. Uh, it would have it would have just filled the room up, okay, with this aroma. And it was just it was just beautiful. It just smelled so good. And she positions herself at the feet of Jesus, and she sees him, and she does exactly what I would do. She just starts crying. You know, those moments that you think, and then you get there, and you just think, oh, no, I'm going to cry. Or you laugh, or, you know, whatever your emotional response is. And she just starts just weeping, and she's doing that so much that her tears are just literally falling down, and they're getting on Jesus' feet. I mean, she's right there over his feet, and, and she's just soaking his feet. So, and that day the roads, it was all dirt roads, and you can imagine the dust covering his feet, and our tears are falling down. It's just making a mess. So she lets her hair down, which you did not do if you're a woman. You didn't let your hair down like that. You didn't show your hair. It was just inappropriate in that culture. And she uses her hair uh, like a cloth, you know, to clean his feet. And everybody's watching this happen. I mean, nobody knows what to do or say, right? Because they're just like stunned, like, what? What is she doing? They wouldn't go, what? Um, Finally, she puts this, you know, this perfumed oil on his feet and and proceeds to massage it, like, you know, rub it into his, his skin. Who is this girl? What is she doing? All we know about her is that she's a sinner, how would you like to be walk into a room and everybody knows, yes, Dan the sinner. <laughs> well, that's what they knew about her. In fact, three times in this passage, it's kind of brought out. Once by the author himself, Luke says, yes, he came in this woman who was a sinner. And Thanks, Luke. <laughs> you know, now, for 2,000 years, everybody's going to know I'm the sinner woman. But he just says, here's a woman, she's a sinner. And then the Pharisees, when they're looking at this and happen, you know, thinking about this, and they're wondering, is Jesus a prophet? Is Jesus a, just a rabbi? What, what is he? And they're thinking, no, if he was a prophet, he would know. Can you just feel this attitude? Can you just feel this? What sort of woman she is? That just that, that superior, that self-righteousness coming. He would know that she is a sinner, well, then in a moment when Jesus, he figures, he knows what's going on. He sees what's happening. And uh, they're thinking he doesn't know. He, does, he doesn't get it. But Jesus knew exactly who she was. And he had all the facts on her, just like he does all about us. He's got the whole folder. Um, he had more than Simon the Pharisee. Um, and as the scripture says, the Lord... This is in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, the Lord sees not as a man sees. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord always looks at the heart. But Jesus almost throws her under the bus because he said, you know, this, this woman's sins. And they're, they're in, the, in the grammatical structure of the sentence, it's almost like semicolon or dash. And Jesus says, which are, by the way, many. <laughs> And I know she's just so embarrassed. She's just humiliated. Yeah, she, she is a sinner. In fact, you don't know. She's sinned a lot. Uh, which gets your imagination. You're like, what has she done? You know, where Jesus says that. But then he turns this corner. 
pull something out that nobody saw coming, Jesus says, and they're forgiven. So now the issue and the attention shifts from her back to Jesus because Jesus says her sins are forgiven and they're going, whoa, Jesus, wait a minute. Did you just forgive sins? Who do you think you are to forgive sins? That's a little over the top, don't you think? So Jesus absorbs that. He he knew exactly who this woman was. And here's the beautiful thing. He accepts her love. Because that's what grace does. He doesn't rebuke her. He actually defends her. And then Jesus blesses her. And he tells her, he says this little phrase, he says, go in peace. He gives her peace. And for the first time in her life, this woman who probably had known all kinds of situations and adventures, kind of like John Newton. I mean, she had seen it all, been there, done that, had the stories and everything. But for the first time in her life, this man blesses her and said, now you can go in peace. And she just feels all the tension and the guilt, all of that shame and the embarrassment, all of that just flows out of her. And she feels this peace and this joy like she's never known before because Jesus is showing us grace. Folks, he treats us the same way. He loves you just like that. Whether you grew up in church, whether today's your very first time to ever set foot in a room like this. And I remember my first time. And I remember going to this little church in North Memphis and my friends had invited me and I was so nervous. First of all, I wasn't dressed like everybody else. I had on these huge faded bell bottoms that I had worked to get just right. I had on this shiny, silky shirt that was all the, the rage back then. And actually, you don't know who a, this artist is. It's a guy named Beardsley. And it was not good. It was on the back of my shirt. Don't, don't Google it or look it up. I'm talking to you. Um, I'm ahead on stacks. I could rock. I could rock. You remember those? I always loved them because it made me a little taller, you know. Uh, But, I I mean, I was just there, and and I didn't know anything was going on or how people were acting and who they were. I was kind of scared of them and intimidated by them. But the grace of God began to move in my life, even physically. I could just, like, feel his love in my body. How could I say no to that? All of my excuses, everything I had built up, all the walls, all those hypocrites. That's an easy go-to, right? God, Christian friends who messed up. Such an easy, so easy to use that against people. And listen, if you're if you're a non-believer and that's and that's your your go-to, you know, yeah, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to disappoint you. We we all are. We're people. We're still humans. But it's not about us. It's not you believing in us. It's you believing in Jesus. It's about him. It's about him. And I couldn't do anything with that. It doesn't matter what you've done. I got to lead a guy who was accused, actually imprisoned for murder. And he confessed to it. I got to lead him to Christ. 
That's just crazy. If you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're known for, what people say after you walk into the room, what they whisper. It doesn't matter how others see you. Even if they see you as a good Christian and you know in your heart you're not, they see you as a church member. I mean, this can work both ways. You may walk in and go, oh, my goodness. If you knew what she had done, if you knew where he had been, or it could be, oh, I can't believe they want to become a Christian. I thought they were. I had a guy sitting next to me in seminary one day, close all his books, and, and in a chapel service on a Tuesday morning, give his heart and his life to Christ. He's in seminary. He's a pastor in Arkansas. He had to go back to his church and resign his position as pastor. And one of his men in his church baptized him. And then they had a vote to recall him as the pastor. And, and he said, well, I don't know if I should do that. And they said, we thought you were a great pastor and you weren't even a Christian. Oh, Lord, we can't wait to see what's going to happen with you now that you know Jesus. You know, And that church did. They went through this revival. I mean, just God loves you when you give him your heart. He isn't going to turn you away. Wherever you come from, he's not going to turn you away. This is Jesus' gift of grace to us. So, here's the question. How are we representing this gift to the world? I know this is a common theme in my preaching and my teaching and my life is grace. Because it's everything to me. But what about in this direction? Right? The Pharisees' response in verse 39 of Luke 7 shows us the typical response of the world, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. Um, you know, you could be self-righteous, or you could not be walking in the Spirit. Um, Simon's reaction isn't because he's a Pharisee. I mean, we hammer Pharisees all the time, right? But some of us are one. So it's not because of that. He's just acting like a human. He's just being another, another guy. Simon the Pharisee is offended by the whole situation. And some of you who are religious, you know, sometimes we get offended. And our response is to be angry or to, to you know, to, to, to do something negative. And I don't know. And I'm not going to tell you in every situation. We're not going there with politics or boycotts or whatever it's just becoming increasingly difficult to boycott boycott everybody you know it's kind of like joseph living in babylon or in egypt i mean and daniel living in babylon you think oh my goodness we got to boycott everybody you know because there's nobody righteous nobody so i don't know what to do with that i've struggled with that both ways but i know this we have an opportunity even in our offendedness to show grace. Do you know who offended more? Who in scripture, at least the Bible says, offended people all the time? It was Jesus. He was such an offensive guy. Simon is offended by it. He's offended with the woman. He's offended with the whole situation. This is just making him so nervous. He's really offended at Jesus. Here's a thought for you. I had this thought, and I just wrote it out in my journal. Sometimes even Jesus offended people. It made me feel better. <laughs> 
You ever, you ever offend people? And you, just, you can just think, oh, I'm just so much like Jesus. <laughs> I just go around being offensive, you know. No, that is not your spiritual gift. I'll tell you the difference in just a second. But first, I just I got off on this rabbit trail. First Peter 2, 6 and 8 mentions that Jesus is the cornerstone. And then it calls him, Peter just throws in, he's the rock of offense. How would you like that for your nickname? Here comes Jesus, rock of offense. You know what I'm saying? He just offends people. In Matthew 15, 22, Jesus again offends religious people. It's like you're offending the wrong people. In Matthew 13, excuse me, 13, 55, he offends his hometown folks. In Mark 3, 31 to 35, he offends his own family. In John 6, 60 to 6, he offends his disciples, the ones who are following him. In John 11, 1 through 3, he offends his close friends, not just his enemies or the bad guys, It's like, Jesus, you're offending even the people close to you. Check this out. In in Luke 7, 18 to 23, he even offends John the Baptist. Now, who can get John the Baptist offended? Jesus. (laughs) Jesus offended a lot of people. But he always did so in the path of obeying his father. He never caused an offense in order to assert himself or his rights, his opinions, his position in an argument. So that's kind of what got me. I thought, oh, there's the difference. Jesus offends people. I offend people. But when I offend people, it's in defending myself. Or when I'm offended by somebody, it's usually because one of my rights got violated. It's okay to be offended sometimes, but I want you to note this. Just because you feel offended does not mean that you're right or that the other person is always completely wrong in what they think or say or do. I don't know. There's so many situations that we're in or been in or will be in, and I don't know who's right or wrong. That's not the issue. Grace slows us down in how quickly we, and to what level we let ourselves get to when we're offended. How self-protecting we become. We live in a time where everybody seems to be offended all the time about something, right? Everybody's angry. Everybody's mad. And we're so easily triggered. I only said that statement because that's sort of a buzzword right now in culture. And I just thought it'd be cool if I pushed it in there to show you how relevant I am. I hope I didn't trigger you. Okay. In verses 40 to 48, Jesus shows us. He doesn't just tell us. He shows us. Here's how to be gracious. Watch this. Here's how to be gracious toward others. He knows the thoughts. Um, of Simon the Pharisee. Is my voice just annoying you? I'm sorry, we can just stop and go get lunch. If, if, but if, let, me, let me wrap this up, and then I'll get better during the week, and you won't have to, um, to hear it next time. Um, 
He explains his actions because Simon's baffled, like, why in the world would you be it's so unintuitive, it's so anti-cultural. Everything about this just seems wrong, just feels like this, not at all what anybody's used to. And Jesus said, okay, let me, and I love this about Jesus. When he went to explain things, he would just stop in the middle of a situation and go, here's a story for you. You think, you're going to tell a story? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to tell a story. And he, that's what he does. And I, I, just, I love that, that method of explaining things. So he tells this story about two people who are in debt. One owes about two months' wages. It's a lot of money, but if they work hard and they put some aside, they're going to be able to pay it off. The other is in debt way over their heads, kind of like some of you. <laughs> you ran up the credit card, whatever. Maybe it's school loans. I don't know what it is, but uh, this person's just in huge debt, and they owe, if they worked for about a year and a half to two years solid and gave every penny of it you know, to who they owe the money to, they wouldn't get it paid off. So they're, they're, deep in, they're deep in trouble, and, and you know, they, they, don't, they can't want to, don't know what to do. So the lender, however, forgives both debts. You owe me 50 bucks, it's okay. You owe me 10,000, you know what, it's okay. You're both free. Now, of course, in my flesh, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I'd have borrowed more money. <laughs> you ever think that, oh, I wish I'd have borrowed more than 50, you know? Um, but they're both forgiven. So then Jesus, he sets this up, and then he asks the question, who do you think is more grateful? Who appreciates it the most? You see, the parable isn't teaching us that some people don't have so much to be forgiven for, and some people have a lot to be forgiven for. It's not about your behaviors and what you've done. It's the condition of your heart that you came with. You're a sinner, even though you can control your outside behaviors. We were sinners. The warning is this. Do you see your sins as being something that's not that big a deal? Or do you fully understand the damage that your sins are doing in your relationship to God and your relationship to others? You never act in a vacuum, in an empty space, what you do is going to affect people around you. And you can kid yourself, and you can play the game, it's my business, I'm not hurting anybody, and along the way you are, you're going to hurt other people. That's just the way sin works. It's never satisfied just to take you down. It wants to take down the, the people you love, your kids, the, it, that's the way it works. That's the nature of it. So in this story, uh, Jesus reverses the role of the Pharisee and the woman. It's now Simon who is the sinner for showing so little love. And the woman is this sinner who's debt-free because of the love she showed. Jesus gives us a very practical way to show grace to other people. Now, this isn't going to be easy. I'm going to set this up. But if you're in the spirit and, you, and you, you, you're the pipe, okay, you're the water hose... You think, I wish he would just leave that illustration alone. You know, if it's just, as his grace is flowing through you, it's going to be easier. Um, Jesus turns to the woman, and while looking at her, I can't believe this is happening in front of everybody. I would just be so, I was like, can, can, can you not look at me? You know, Everybody's staring at her. He asked the question to the people around her. Do you see this woman? 
In verse 44, do you see this woman? Do you know what he's saying? Hey, this isn't just a sinner. This is a person. You stop seeing the person. You just saw your issues and your differences and all of that. By drawing attention to her. He's compelling us to see others as humans made in the image of God. Folks, we have to be careful that we don't divide the world into sinners, kind of sinners, not sinners. We're all sinners. Some of you you don't like that. I didn't like being told that. That was offensive to me. (laughs) But it happened to be true. Jesus gives us a model here for conversations with non-believers or with believers even with whom we disagree. He accepts them just as they are without accepting the sin. It's amazing how he did that because he did it with grace. Now, this week, you're probably going to be with a lot of family and friends. And some of those are folks who are just like you. And you just love them because you're all the same and you agree on everything no matter what topic comes up, no matter what it is. You're like, I just like you because you're so much like me, you know. And and you're going to be comfortable and you're going to be happy. And I hope that's most of our situations. Some of you are going to be in environments that you're, you're not looking forward to. You're kind of dreading it a little bit. There's going to be tension. There's going to be old issues. My family used to shift around, and I would never know. It's like that show, uh, was it Survivor, where there were these allegiances and alliances, and then they would kind of change, and they would go from this team to that team, and, you know, they would, they would switch. My family was kind of like that, and I would show up thinking, okay, what are the teams? What are the teams rallied around? Which team do I be on, <laughs> you know? Some of you are going to walk into that in just a couple of days. You're going to be with family. You're going to be with friends. Some of whom are living without Jesus. I know what it's like, and I'm not trying to sound self-righteous, but I know what it's like to step into a room of people and think, I'm the Christian. We were, had already started several, you know, everybody was eating in a Thanksgiving meal. And I just sat there and my children, my little spiritual robot children, they're watching me. And I'm sitting there and going, we can't eat unblessed food, you know, because I had trained them to be little Pharisees. And we, we, um, we all just sat there. And finally, somebody threw a mouthful of food and said, say your blessing for us. You know, and my mother was like, yes, I'll say the blessing. You know, and I think you guys never do this, do you? You know, and just stop and pray. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to feel like, you know, my sister whom I love, God bless her. But one time she said, you're, you're kind of like the white sheep of the family. <laughs> I didn't know whether it was an insult or a compliment. You know, you get it. Maybe you you won't enjoy or agree with the people. What are you going to do? You can try to be right and prove you're right and hone all of your talking points on the drive there. You know, get it all ready. One Thanksgiving, my dad and I were in an argument 
It was about Bill Clinton. <laughs> My dad died in 1998. Um, and I'm looking at him. He's standing in front of me. And he's, he's so angry. And he's doing this at me. And I'm standing there. And I'm just coming back at him. I'm the Christian. I'm, I'm being right. I'm being righteous, I think. I'm being ungracious is what I'm being. So my wife, Kathy, is standing behind my dad. He can't see her, but he can see me. She's standing behind him. She's going, stop it. Stop it. And I'm thinking, but he's the one wrong, not me. I'm right about this. It didn't matter. We were spoiling. We were spoiling Thanksgiving. The funny thing is, my dad left the room. He went outside to cool off. He had a temper. He could be really angry. So he leaves the room, and he goes outside, and he cools off. Like half an hour goes by, and we're talking about completely different stuff. But what he was doing out there, instead of cooling off, he was rethinking all of his arguments. So he walks back in the room, and he says, I'll tell you something else you don't know. And I thought, oh, it's on. We're going back. You know, I thought... No, you know what? I was just so wrong. He needed Jesus and he needed grace more than he needed to know my opinions about politics or anything else. Let's give grace. Who do you find it hard to give grace to? Somebody just come into your mind, right? You're picturing them right now. That's who you're supposed to give grace to. We stand with me? I just want to read one other verse for you. And um, then we're going to give grace. We're going to give grace. Here's the verse. It's Romans 14, 13. And I looked at this in a lot of different versions. It was hard to pick out the one that really expressed it well. But I think any of them would do. Here's what this one says. So, let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. You're not going to Thanksgiving dinner to judge the people in your family or your friends or anybody else. God is sending you in there like a secret agent, like a spy in the kingdom to spread grace, to show love. This is how I came to Christ. It was through the grace of friends who just loved me. They didn't love my sin. They didn't love the stuff I was doing. They loved me. And I could only resist it for so long. It was Jesus. So let's let it flow. Let's give grace.